0: Welcome, Welcome, travelers. We're aware aware that your journey journey was difficult, difficult,
1: but prepare to to have your questions
0: questions answered, for you have been
1: granted an audience audience with the Masters of of Modern.
2: What's up, guys? Masters of Modern here. I'm Ben Bateman. I'm Alex Kessler. and We've got a couple quick shout-outs for you guys that we wanted to remind you of on this episode. The first one is... Twitter, at the MMCast. We've had a Twitter for years. It's a great place to interact with us. We post exclusive images of our brand new spoiler cards, all kinds of cool stuff. Check it out, at the MMCast. It is a great way to support the show. Cast, where can the folks find you personally? I'm at Cass Wiley. You guys can find me at Ben Bateman Media. The second thing is we have a YouTube. You may be watching this right now, honestly. You might be listening to it. But one of the big pushes for us in 2019 is to build this YouTube channel. We want to get more eyes, more ears, bigger guests, better episodes, higher production quality. We even hired a producer right now, so you might even see the camera angles change. Changing. subscribe like comment it's going really well so far and honestly if you guys support it even if you're an audio listener already it's a huge thing you can do to help us grow this the third thing and maybe the most important thing for our long-term health is patreon.com slash the mm cast guys this year is gonna have a ton of cool rewards for you we really want to make the patreon feel special and it's a great way to help us grow our ability to hire the producer to get new gear to do anything cool in the future is going to be dependent on on our ability to actually pay for it. Cause right now Alex and I are just paying out of pocket for the show. You know, we love it, but that's what we're doing.
0: Well, and, and the producer will help us kind of make sure we stay on stuff on Patreon. So it'll be a really thriving community.
2: Yeah. Now the last thing I want to talk to you guys about is the command zone. Jimmy Wong, Josh Lee quiet. These guys helped us start this thing mm-hmm. collected our companies where you can find their stuff. They're seriously the most professional magic people in the world. Not named Ben and Alex. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, they make awesome content every week, Commander Focus. They do game nights. They do uh, the Command Zone is the, obviously the podcast, the sister podcast of the Cast. Check them out, collective.com. It's the same place you can find our episodes every week as well.
2: And the last thing is if you guys want to check out a great community, check out the Facebook group, the Masters of Modern. There's a ton of people in there. It's very interactive. There are constantly threads about new decks, new conversations. Uh, it's very active. Check it out. That's uh, Facebook, the official Masters of Modern group. And otherwise, let's get back to the show. Yeah. Thanks, guys and welcome back to the masters of modern podcast what's up everybody i'm your host ben bateman not alex kessler he couldn't make it to this one we got a good backup for him We got a good replacement his name is michael Grothy. what's up hi everyone you guys know michael he's a he's a talented magic player he's got a good beard yeah so fills in been well been for alex. Show a couple times yeah he's really good at magic truthfully he's better at magic than alex or i but you know that'll be the only time i ever say that out loud um, we it's are recorded though. Luckily, so. <laughs> luckily for eternity, we are here to talk to you guys about magic. There's a lot to talk about today. This is the Masters of Modern, and we talk about modern on this show. What a weekend! GPLA, it happened. Yeah, and uh... it was a lot of fun. Local GP is always great. Everybody's coming out. People are traveling. You know, friends I haven't seen in a while were around. It was good. The real reason Alex is not on this episode is because I lost a bet to Alex, and that bet was that I was going to have to play a real deck at a GP, which I did, and had my best GP finished and constructed ever. So, Alex wasn't allowed to come on this episode, because I'm going to have to hear about it for the rest of my life.
0: Sounds like you should lose bets more (laughs) often, Ben.
2: (laughs) That's Marshall. We got uh, got our producer, Marshall, in the house. How you doing, buddy?
0: I'm doing great. Marshall's got a good sandwich. up and running, yeah. He's
2: got a good sandwich. He's going to try to eat it, but not into the mic. But if you guys hear him eating into the mic, you know, that's the reality of podcasting. Sometimes you have to eat while you do shows. I don't know.
0: Thanks for the sandwich, Ben.
2: Yeah, you got it, bud. GPLA happened. I played a real deck. That real deck was Is It Phoenix? And, um... I day at a modern GP for the first time, which which was sweet. Now, Dana Fisher also did that, and she's eight, so I can't really stand on that much of a soapbox
0: she's about a, it. She's an incredible magic player, though. She's very for, good. <laughs> she's,
2: she's better than a lot of
1: magic
0: players at eight.
2: Yeah, it's impressive.
0: And to be fair, she probably has been playing for a greater percentage of her life than you have for your life.
2: Yeah, it's definitely not true. Oh,
0: I've, really? I've been you... playing
2: magic since I was seven.
0: Oh, wow. All so, right. I take it back.
2: Uh, unless she started playing magic when she was like, Three and a half. I got her beat. So this podcast is going to be all about talking about how much better than Dana. Just kidding. Um, Tonight on the podcast, (laughs) Ben Bateman versus Dana Fisher. Who's better? We love Dana Fisher and actually are hoping to have Dana Fisher eventually on the podcast. But uh, all that aside, this is the Masters of Modern. We're going to talk modern on the show. We're going to talk about the tournament. We're going to talk about the modern format. We're going to talk about all kinds of fun things. And before we do all that, there's some things I want to do. first one is uh, give the people an opportunity to follow along with Michael's career because Michael designs games. Michael yep. plays magic. He's got. He's on Twitter. Where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at Dudard, uh, D-U-D-A-R-D-D.
1: Uh, I'm also a moderator in the Masters of Modern Facebook group, so I'm mm. always looking there. So if anybody wants to find me there, I'm there.
2: Nice subtle plug there. We have a Facebook group. The Facebook and the Twitter. Are rivaling for 5,000. They both are very close, and one of them is going to hit 5,000 sooner than the other. Um, so... Follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. You guys can find me at BenBabyMedia. You can find the podcast at the MMCast. And there are lots of other shout-outs, but we'll get to those later. It's some sort of a cool podcast pre-roll. But what I do want to talk to you guys about is some of the big news. I mentioned it, but Dana Fisher was the youngest player in the history of Magic to make Day 2 of a GP at 8 years old.
1: Playing Elves, her signature deck.
2: Yeah, she is awesome. She's very talented at Magic. Elves is... A great learning deck, I think. And obviously, I think she's better than I am a magic, but I think it's a great deck if you're a young player that wants to start. It being monocolored or close to monocolored in general, I think is strong. The fact that it's like creatures that can attack, but they also have a second function, I think is pretty strong. It's relatively straightforward if you have the win. Like, I don't know, maybe not, though. Maybe Elves has lots and lots and lots of nuances because of all the mana you have to generate and the way you have to sequence a yeah, character. Neither.
1: Your opponent has to. Your opponent's going to be killing your creatures, too, which, like, you know, playing a creature deck is easy until your opponent has something, and then you have to be playing around what your opponent has to know if you have the kill or to know if it's safe to go for something or whatever, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah, I was just trying to think, when I say that, it's not in any way to discuss the deck choice for a young player. It's more to think about if I was going to recommend to somebody who wanted to get into modern, a young player who's learning the game. I think the
1: best way to play Magic is to play what you like to play. I mean, like, Burn is one of the cheaper modern decks, and it's not incredibly difficult to play. There's nuance to it, but it's, you know, an inexperienced player can still succeed with the deck, even if you don't know all the nuances. But a lot of people just aren't going to enjoy playing Burn. So I wouldn't just say, if you're a new modern player, just play Burn. I would say, check out some deck lists, see what looks cool to you. If you're a big fan of playing with, you know... Terramander play Phoenix. If you're a big fan of playing with Heritage Druid play elves. If you're, you know, everybody likes a different thing about Magic and I think what's going to be best for you is if you play a deck you like cuz you're going to put in the reps and you're going to you're going to know the deck.
0: Yeah, I
2: think that's fair. Um,
0: okay. Yeah, I mean I believe the thing that Dana's win really shows is you know she always plays elves and modern like any non-rotating format really rewards uh, just really knowing the deck and knowing the matchups against the deck. Totally. This is very true.
2: This is very true. And there's there are a few places that you can get as much high level experience than sleeving it up at a GP, which Dan has done a lot of. Um, if you if you play even just a full day wanted a GP, honestly, it's pretty instructive. Like it's you get some you get some stuff online, but it's different.
1: It's true. I've never been to a GP, even one where I like scrubbed out in the first five rounds, where I didn't learn anything about my deck or the matchups or. You know, you, you learn a lot at a GP.
2: There's a relatively high level of play at a GP. You have a lot of people that are there that want to win. Obviously, the further you go, the higher tables you are, the better you do. But the actual nuances of shuffling up a deck, like a physical game of Magic versus playing Moto, it's so different. And I've only played a little bit of Moto, but just the kind of triggers that you miss, things like that. That's stuff that Moto doesn't really allow you to do as easily. So, um, anyway, huge congratulations to Dana. We hope to have her on the show at some point soon. Um, other news? Michael Burnett wins the GP with Is It Phoenix. Same deck I played. Really, really good deck. It's a good deck. Slightly different list than I was playing. Yep. Um, but interesting, interesting to see, interesting to see that Alex's called shot on Is It Phoenix was about as right as you could ever have on a called shot. That's going to probably go down in history as his greatest called shot, right?
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah, he knew that Phoenix was good, and everybody on the internet was trying to tear him down, and he bought 32 of them
2: for $1.50, and here we are. (laughs) My call of Terramander feels pretty good right now, but nowhere near as good as Phoenix. Like, I I was right about Terramander. That card is showing up now as a mainstay in both Modern and Standard, so...
0: And a little bit of Legacy.
2: Yeah, I mean, that card's really good. That card is exactly what I thought it was going to be, which is just like...
0: Flying Man Plus?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I think the whole idea there is that when you talk about Delve Spells... Um, one of the conversations when Angler started getting played a few years back in Modern was like the card Thought Scour is Dark Ritual for this. That's what that's what you get, right? I mean, but you're also getting a card out of it. And the same theory is pretty close to true with Terramander. It's obviously not the same nuts and bolts version, because like Thought Scour actually is for for Grimag Angler that, because no matter what cards you're milling, it works. But in the same sense, the idea that this this Flying Man can turn into something so much bigger based on cards you already want to be playing um just makes the card a
0: in
1: yeah well it's interesting i i actually saw is it phoenix deck starting to play sleight of hand instead of Thoughtscour? scour was just too inconsistent you didn't really have a way to use your graveyard except if like phoenixes were in there or maybe bedlam reveler when people were playing that uh pre-terramander but thought was just kind of meh but now that terramander yeah i mean Thoughtscour got a lot better and i see people playing Thoughtscour like as a four of staple in the deck where they weren't before because it's of its synergy with terramander
2: yeah Absolutely. So we'll talk a little bit more about it. Is it Phoenix, guys? At the end of the episode, we're going to be doing an actual deck tech, but we're going to talk about matchups. Um, I didn't write them down, so I'll be trying to go off of memory somewhat as far as like what I played against, what I lost against, but I have a pretty good memory for this type of thing, so I should be able to mostly remember. Um, the last thing I did want to talk about is that the MMCast this last weekend hosted a Chaos Draft event. Uh, I wanted to thank everybody who came out for that. This is the second one of these we've done. It feels like this is going to start to be... A yearly or even possibly twice a year thing we do at GPLA and GP Vegas. Um, We are talking about doing some pretty cool stuff in Vegas. There's an event, an actual sanctioned side event. We're hoping to get confirmed pretty soon. So we'll be talking about that. Um, And then also something like we did here in LA. It was super fun. Every one of the stacks... Uh, that you would get in your pod had one really, really good pack.
1: And- There's a picture up on the MMCast Twitter uh, if you guys want to see. But, yeah, there was, like, a pack of Stronghold. There was a pack of Weatherlight. There was, like,
2: three in- Weatherlights. There was a the Time Spiral, Planner Chaos. There was, like, Zendikar. There was New Phyrexia. There
1: was, like, a couple of packs from each of the Masters sets, including Modern Masters 1 and 2. Yeah. And-
2: yeah, I mean, there was tons of good stuff, and every so so people people showed up, and we ran I think three chaos drafts consecutively. We had twenty four people drafting, and then we had a bunch of other people playing commander there was a foil
1: Avison that got opened. Oh yeah,
2: somebody opened and somebody opened foil Leyline of uh, Sanctity and also Noble Hierarch in the same pack. Ooh, yeah, I pretty, didn't see that one. So it was a really fun event, and just I wanted to thank everybody for showing up. We're we're looking forward to do more stuff like that in the future. So I think we should probably get into our full show. We have another episode coming out next week where Alex and I are going to be talking about the Mulligan Rule. We're going to be talking about some of the cards and decks that get affected by it, as well as a little bit more into the Modern Horizons speculation. You're not Alex, so you're not going to gloat. But I'm not going to gloat. Now, if you guys are listening to the show for the first time or watching for the first time, some of whom actually I met this last weekend, which was exciting. Some people told me that they have been watching the show and they found it on YouTube, which is exciting for us because yeah, YouTube is newer. And speaking of which, you know, subscribe, like, comment, please. It's the best thing you guys can be doing to help support us and grow the show. But um, historically, I play a lot of bad decks. And I don't, I mean, I say that jokingly and in like a, you know, whatever, uh, a, a, a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Tear yourself down for the sake of comedy. Self-deprecating way. Because I like to play cards that I think are awesome and I want to do something that I think is kind of clever. That's historically what I do. And a couple. Johnny,
1: of- right? That's the, uh the mark rosewater player psychographic
2: spike being the person who would take the best deck johnny being and then timmy being the person that wants johnny
1: wants to express their creativity through the game kind of right
2: and i would always i've always deemed myself as sort of a combo of the two because i don't just take bad decks that are clearly bad like that plays really stupid five drops but i take cards that i can sort of talk myself or someone else into why they would be interesting and i'll usually pile them to like a five and four finish, or like four and five, somewhere somewhere in that range. I think I've won like six rounds before, maybe in the old days, but probably not. Usually, like five wins is about standard at a GP.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe four. I, and I can't. I can't speak to that. I don't know all your GP records, but
2: maybe like four and three at a PTQ or a PPTQ. Like that's 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 usually it's a little bit above five hundred. And uh, I love playing those decks.
1: And to give the viewers an idea of what we're talking about, there was a uh, a fan of the cast uh, who brought Ben a Grand Architect to sign because that's one of his signature bad cards that he likes to play with. I've played. Gra- <laughs>
2: I've signed Grand Architects. <laughs> I've signed Clause of Gix. I've signed Scavenging. Or, uh, Any
1: Mir Superior?
2: I've signed Mirror Superiors. I've, sub- <laughs> I've signed Blood Hall Oozes i've signed many spell skites i mean i love the cards i love i love to play them that's the point that's what i like out of magic and so i don't know what i would have played at this tournament if i had tried to come up with something but i do know that the promise i made to alex and the fans was like all right why not like you know i I make a lot of jokes about it but i don't mind winning games of magic it's fun to do so yeah i just decided i was gonna play a phoenix deck i owned the phoenixes Um, I had a lot of the cards for both the mono red version that i had had my brother play in Portland and, you know, I was going to play that. And then I was like, you know what? I like blue cards. This is very much my style of deck. Like I love playing tempo decks. I love playing decks with cheap evasive threats that close the game out with soft counters. It's like my literal favorite thing in the world.
1: So what would you say the main difference between the, the blue deck and the red deck is?
2: Red's a lot more explosive, a lot less consistent um the cantrips in blue just like allow you to hit your ideal game plan a lot more consistently um you can't just like you can end the game on like turn three if you have like a god draw but i mean it's less likely the game is usually going to end on turn like six or seven if you have a really good start uh with the blue red version and it'll end on the back of like Maybe you get in with a couple Phoenixes. Maybe they take one out. You're ticking away. They exile the Phoenixes or something. And then you like draw Crackling Drake and play it. And they don't have an answer. And you like dome them for 16. Like that's like usually how the deck works. Versus the mono red version, which the revelers can kind of have you recover. But what you're really trying to do with that deck is land like a soul scar mage or something like that early. Maybe a reveler relatively early and just close the game out by like turn four. Like it's just a damage game. And at at a certain point, their life total is so low, all the fiery tempers and bolts that you're top decking are just going to win you the game and you don't really need to worry as much. Um, They're both cool. Blue red's better.
1: Okay. Just the consistency of blue red you feel is more valuable.
2: Yeah. And also in game two, your ability to hit your sideboard cards with all the cantrips makes it like way more relevant. You can actually legitimately play a one of and like have a really good shot at, if you don't see it in your opening hand, you know, you mold a six, you still don't see it in your opening hand assuming that you'll you'll probably see it you have a decent chance i mean i won multiple matches this weekend with my one other shatterstorm like multiple matches in game 3 by literally drawing my one shatterstorm yeah i
1: mean in modern where the sideboard cards are so powerful and the strategies there's so many linear strategies just drawing your one sideboard card can win it and a lot of the time that means you just put four in your deck but being able to save all that sideboard space with just one shatterstorm and still finding it in the matchups where it's going to win it for you seems really valuable
2: so yeah this tournament was a lot of fun i on Friday night, I went to play FNM, and I played modern FNM so that I could make sure I get a couple reps. And the problem is I didn't have all the cards for the deck. You actually lent me the final nine cards I needed the morning of.
1: Yep, I did. They're actually in my pocket right now. You just gave them back to me.
2: And what's funny is that it's not like they were irrelevant cards. Uh, I borrowed from Michael a second Crackling Drake, two Spire Bluff Canals, three Surgical Extractions, and most importantly, four Thing in the Ice. Yep. So the version I played on Friday night had zero Thing in the Ice, and I would argue Thing in the Ice is maybe the best card in the entire deck.
1: Really, better than Phoenix.
2: You win more games in games two and three with that card than you win with Phoenix. Phoenix is pretty easy to answer, and everybody can. It's really hard to answer Thing in the Ice because most of what they're doing gets bounced. Like a dredge deck, for instance, they struggle. If you have a thing and you control the game with a Thing in the Ice, they have to go long and try to conflagrate you. They don't really like if you're like disrupting their graveyard and you have a Thing in the Ice. They're usually not that fast. Because you're going to be able to control your thing pretty easily.
1: Yeah, I've played the deck a few times, which is why I own all the cards. I haven't had a chance to play modern much recently, and a combination of letting you borrow the cards and having not played a lot of modern recently, I decided not to play in the GP. I just went and hung out, and yeah, played side events, and you know, kind of watched what was going on. But I, yeah, in the little experience I have with the deck, thing in the ice seemed really great to me. Best card in the deck. It's very interesting. But... Definitely top
2: four. So the ability, so so I played Friday Night at FNM, and I 3-0'd. But I 3-0'd with a hodgepodge of my own version of this deck that I had to put together. It was a couple basics in the place of the Spire Bluff Canals. I played one Terramander, two Bedlam Reveler. Uh, I believe I played what's another card that people, because I didn't have the Crackling Drake.
1: Young Pyromancer?
2: I played a third Young Pyro in the main, because the version I played played two. Okay. So those that would replace the fourth thing in the ices, and then one other card that I don't quite remember offhand, but it was a version of the deck that was missing some of the most essential cards, and those were the games I played, and I, I really liked it, and the deck was still powerful, because all the cards I mentioned are still good, but I showed up to the GP on Saturday morning, and got the last cards I needed, and I was I showed up, and it was like, you know, uh, 8.45, I got a couple Ceremonious Rejections that I needed for the sideboard, and was sitting there, and it's like 8.55, and I'm about to write the deck list. And they announce round one pairings are up. Tournament starts at 9. They announce them at 8.55. In my mind, usually they start 10 minutes late. There's a player meeting, and then the thing starts. That's what it used to be. Yeah. GPs are run a lot faster these days. They're running better. Yeah, I
1: noticed day one was over like... Pretty quick. It was over by like six PM or something. It was like, wow, you could just leave the hall and go get dinner and you're not like starving. Yeah, it's, it's not, not like 8, or yeah. nine p.m.
0: <laughs>
2: so it's it's totally different. I mean, they've made obviously made an effort, and so they they announce pairings, and then as I'm sitting there I'm like, okay, I gotta get my table to do, I'm like, and feature match, Ben Bateman. And I'm like, wait a minute, I have a feature match and I haven't written my deck list yet? What am I doing? Um, so this is my second feature match, and both times it's in the first two rounds, because I don't play enough GPs to have buys. Yep. So I Race over, and Corbin's like, "We give you a feature match. You don't even have your deck list. Come on, you know." And he's like, Give me a hard time." And I sit down and I, you know, literally scribble the thing through, make sure it's right, double check the basic lands because the first uh, competitive tournament in LA I ever played was ten years ago, and I it was a standard PTQ, and I didn't write down the basic lands. I got a game loss in game one for it. So I know, I know, it was the worst. I was playing um, Runeflare Trap. Standard. Yeah, because the first thing judges
1: do. <laughs> uh is at a tournament is they'll have like a couple they'll have judges walking around doing their thing but a couple of judges will just sit down and look through all the deck lists and look for obvious problems like missing basic lands you know doesn't have 60 cards has too many cards in the sideboard stuff like that and it's like yeah you get your, you get your loss <laughs> real fast. no basic lands is a pretty easy one to notice
0: <laughs> we have somebody in the stream asking i mean you can maybe discuss this later but do you think this deck and Phoenix in general decks are safe from bannings for now.
2: For now, yes, it's too new. It's you
0: don't think that faceless looting could get a hit?
2: Oh, uh, faceless looting, yes. We're and the last banning was like what three weeks, a month ago. So we're st- we're like probably what two months out. Yeah. Well,
1: they they have they have the uh, Mythic Championship. London is going to be modern, um, modern GP and modern Pro Tour at the same event at at the Mythic Championship or at the. Yeah, the Mythic Championship It's London. a Mythic Championship and a uh, Grand Prix together at Magic Fest London, is what I mean to say, right?
2: It seems unlikely that we're going to see a banning. Of or no, it's, including...
1: sorry, it's sealed. The GP is sealed and the Mythic Championship is modern. That's right. Well, yeah, so it seems like they, for a while, had been banning things right before the Pro Tour to make sure that, like, interesting stuff was happening on the Pro Tour. Uh, but they stopped doing that. They, and they, it. If I recall correctly, it sounded like they were like, we're not going to do that anymore. Now, I don't remember if those if they exactly said that or if it just seemed implied, but um, it makes me think that they probably won't ban anything right before the Mythic Championship. But after the Mythic Championship, they'll be testing out the new Mulligan rule. And so I feel like they wouldn't even ban anything right after the Mythic Championship either because if anything, skewed results of the Mythic Championship are more likely to be a result of the mulligan rule than it is a result of like a
2: particular card being too powerful faithless looting is really good it makes a lot of decks really good you hurt the format a lot if you take out faithless looting you there's a lot of really cool things people have enjoyed doing that you don't get to do anymore so i haven't seen hollow one in a little while that deck's like kind of fallen out of favor but i you, think phoenix kind of yeah took over
1: usurped its spot as like the fast Faithless yeah. Looting deck.
2: i mean you phoenix the phoenix deck it gets a lot worse you probably can't play it um hollow one probably isn't a deck if you lose it dredge it's debatable but like there's probably a version of dredge you can play without it i
1: think dredge is powerful enough yeah
2: yeah i I mean but like we'll see things are the new kid on the block that happens all the time and then things adjust and are no longer the best deck i mean grix's shadow is a great example of this over time, Grixis Shadow just wasn't the best deck anymore.
1: The one thing that's nice about Phoenix, I will say, is that like Phoenix is the really the only expensive card. I mean, you need fetches and shocklands, but assuming you've been playing Modern for a while, you might have them, or at least have them in other colors that you can trade for Tarns and Steam Vents or
2: Tarns are like the hardest one though. By far. It's true. It's true. They're but if you have
1: Tarns and Steam Vents. Like I do, for example. I yeah. built Phoenix because I owned Tarns and Steam Vents, and the rest of the deck is dirt cheap, and then Phoenixes And Phoenix is the only thing you dirt need.
2: Cheap is, dirt cheap is a little bit of an exaggeration. Thing in not the ice. Not dirt is, cheap. Thing in the ice is not cheap anymore. How
1: Remember, much is or, Thing in the ice?
2: Regular is $16. Oh my gosh.
1: Back. I bought mine for
2: four. Yeah, I wish I had. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, it, I mean, it's not crazy expensive. Like, there are decks in modern that are like $1,600. This is not yeah, one of those yeah, decks. Yeah. But um, in any case, it's a very powerful deck. I show up. I'm on camera and I just get ripped apart in the chat. Now I haven't gone back to watch the match because I'm sure there's a bunch of mistakes that I would be like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I did that." But let it be noted, guys, this was the first game I had ever played with this deck. Literally, the first game I had ever played with a thing in the ice in the deck. Like the 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 young pyromancer triggers, the thing in the ice triggers, the phoenix triggers. It's a lot to keep track of. So. Plus, I guess.
1: when you're on a feature match, there's so much pressure. Yeah. It's, I got it's parodic- not something that is you can easily get used to.
2: No. I'm a good Magic player, but I'm not a great Magic player. Like, I haven't committed that many hours to gameplay. I've committed, but, like, if a pro commits eight hours of gameplay or six hours of gameplay a day to Magic, I have committed 30 minutes a day to Magic my whole life. Like... I love it. I've played countless weekends and tons of tournaments, but I don't game to like learn the nuances of every single card that's powerful so that when I play a card for the first time, I will never miss a trigger. That just doesn't happen. I don't have the time for that. Um, what I do have the time for is to play cards that I think are awesome, which is what I did with this deck. And what I'll say is the most difficult part about playing Is it Phoenix is that the count, keeping track of your triggers and making sure to resolve every trigger before the spell resolves is the hardest thing in the deck.
1: Yeah, because if you play Faithless Looting and you immediately draw a card, you've missed your trigger. It's too late. Yes, you can, especially at a GP at F you know maybe they will be a little bit more lenient, but at a GP, it's too late. And if you, you get you used don't to, get an, you don't get your thing in the ice. you don't get your Phoenix, you don't get
2: anything. If you get used to shortcutting, where you're like, okay, um, play Faithless Looting, and then you like sort of like look at your young Pyromancer, but you don't grab the token. You start to draw the cards. Your it's already too late. Yeah. Like they will take advantage of that. And the thing that's so important about Phoenix is. Your most important count is three, right? There are three spells for a phoenix. That's the key of the deck. Second most important count is four counters on your thing in the ice. And in the version I was playing, the third most important count is going to be your young pyromancer tokens. Now, there are other interactions, like, for instance, keeping track of how many cards are in your graveyard that make Terra Matter or Bedlam Reveller cheaper. Um, There are other things that are important.
1: How big is your crackling drake? How big is your
2: crackling drake? Exactly. Um, Things like that all matter. Keeping track of, for instance, if you gutshot as the third spell to trigger your crackling drakes... It will also make your crafting Drake bigger, your Terra cheaper, and reduce their life total by one point. So that when you swing, now the life total is one one closer to counting for exactly right. Systems. If you have a tra-
1: crackling Drake and you gut shot them, you're kind of doing two damage because you do the one from the gut shot and then one more from the crackling Drake. Exactly, and then maybe you also have an extra token, and yeah, yeah.
2: Keeping track of all this stuff is when when you play and you have a Pyromancer and a, a Pyromancer and a thing in the ice, and you trigger your thing in the ice, you can stack your Pyromancer trigger with the thing in the ice so that. The bounce and flip goes off before the token comes into oh, place. That's You're nice. left for the token. I didn't know this. Yeah, so things... I, I hadn't thought of that because <laughs>
1: I wasn't playing Young Pyromancer in my version of the deck.
2: So these are kind of all the things that you have to pay attention to. And needless to say, I missed a bunch of those things. People said that in game two, there was a lethal tr- a lethal attack that I missed. Um, it's possible. I missed some of my triggers and the judge gave me a hard time. And he was a very serious man who was What's, uninterested. in. What? It's
1: a Grand Prix and feature match area. It's yes. serious business.
2: He just was uninterested in being um, kid gloves or having a bedside manner. He just really wanted me to do it right. And yep. Was not pleased that I wasn't. Yep. So that was distracting, and it made it hard to focus on the match. But whatever it was black green elves that i was playing against which is funny cuz the other feature match i had in vegas last summer was also black green elves i remember
1: and you drew and it was a similar situation where like you didn't have a ton of experience with the deck you'd played a few matches with it before the tournament but it was like it was a control deck so you really have to think about all your decisions and it just you didn't have enough time
2: yes that deck was it could close the game out fast but it had to close it fast by drawing a combo piece it yeah. didn't really have the ability to just like win with tempo yeah um so, Black Green Elves is my first match. I get the win. It goes long. It's close. I, like, breathe a sigh of relief that I didn't lose the match. Um, it was exciting, though. It was an exciting way to start the day, and it really set, set the tone for, a, for an exciting day for me. I did notice immediately how powerful Thing in the Ice was and felt really good about the deck choice.
1: Especially against Elves. I mean, that's, like, one of those go-wide creature decks where they're, like, you know, they finally get their Heritage Druid online, and they collect a company, and now they just have, like, a million creatures and your life totals getting low, and then you flip
2: Thing in the Ice and reset them, and there's nothing they can do about it. So, I know that I went 10-5 and five over two days. I'm uh-huh. positive of this. I wish that I had every single match in order.
1: We're to make. I remember you went X2 at the end of day one, right? And then, so you must have won, lost two on day two, three on day...
2: I'm uh, X2 at the end of day one, the cut to day two. So, 6-2. Right. X2, and then I lost my ninth match, which happens at the end of the day.
1: Oh, okay. I didn't realize it worked like that. Yes. I haven't played in a GP since... Oh, I haven't played in a GP where I was going to make day two since then.
2: <laughs> so, the way it now works is... At the end of eight rounds, everybody with a 6-2 record or better makes day two. They okay. play the first round of day two at the end of day one. Everybody else gets to go home, but you have to play the ninth round. Got and it. the idea is to reduce the length of day two for people. Which um, makes sense. Yeah.
1: Since they have to do top eight and everything.
2: Exactly. And so my matchups, I wish I could remember them all offhand, but I have a decent memory at this, so probably I should be able to get through them. Yep. I can tell you my losses, and I should be able to figure out my wins from there. Yep. Um, I lost to Cheerios which okay. is the Pure Steel Paladin deck. That's the Pure Steel Paladin and SRAM and all of the Zero Man artifacts.
0: It was mono-white Cheerios?
2: Uh, it was blue-white. you
1: got to yeah. play Retract and maybe yeah. Hercule's Recall, right?
2: <clears throat> yep, exactly. Um, so that's Cheerios. I lost to an Is It Phoenix Mirror. Um, I lost to Dredge. I may have even lost the Dredge twice now that I think about it. But I po- I'm positive I lost the dredge once. I lost a hardened scales.
1: Dredge is a tricky matchup. Uh, I I played against dredge in the in the few times I've taken my blue red phoenix f and m uh, and yeah, it's like all comes down to thing in the ice. If they can conflagrate your thing in the ice, you probably lose. And if they don't, you probably win because it just is so good against them.
2: Conflagrate's an underratedly good card in that deck. I didn't understand quite how powerful
1: it was. Conflagrate wins a lot of Dredge's matchups. I mean, pretty much every matchup where your opponent's relying on creatures, it it's going to win that matchup. It beats Elves and other Collected Company decks. It beats Humans. It beats, you know, Hardened Scales. It just beats a lot of stuff just by, like sweeping their board for one turn because all your creatures are free. All your creatures are coming in free. Right. So you're just like constantly applying pressure. All you have to do is just remove your opponent's ability to win the game for one or two turns and then you've got it. It's locked up.
2: Yeah. It's uh, it's definitely very powerful. I I think I lost the two dredge decks. It's possible that I'll remember the other deck I lost to as we talk about all of this. Um, but I know that I beat elves in round one. I'm positive that I beat two death shadow decks, um, both Grixis. Okay, I beat a War of Invention deck, a Prison deck, which was probably. I don't think it was Grixis Prison. I think it was. I think it was blue red. Yeah, might have even just. I'm trying to remember. He had a Tesseret for sure at one point.
1: Five mana Tesseret.
2: Four mana Tesseret.
1: Oh, well, then that's black. right? So just blue black. Yeah, I think it's just blue black. He's playing Thopter th- Sword. Nope. So the. Uh, side note from GPLA is that the SCG Classic Modern in Syracuse last yeah. weekend, uh, it was won by Grixis Were with yeah. uh, Thopter Sword combo in it, which I thought was cool because a lot of the times those prison decks are just winning off of like looping Pyrite Spellbomb with Academy Ruins or some right. god awful win con like that. So I thought seeing Th- Thopter Sword in it was really cool.
2: So Were of Invention, Tron, um, I definitely played against Affinity.
1: Mono Green Tron? Uh,
2: Mono Green Tron.
1: Yep. It's the standard Tron, but you never know. Somebody could be throwing it back.
2: I played against Affinity, Tron, Wurr, Grix of Shadow twice, Elves, Mono Red Prison.
1: Ooh, okay. Like the Simeon Spirit Guide um, Rituals yep. into Blood Moon deck?
2: Exactly. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six. Blood Moon seems terrible against Phoenix, but... Seven of the wins. <laughs> um, let's think other other decks that are big and modern that I might have played against that we're forgetting. Um, I didn't play against traditional Burn. Oh, I did play against Burn. I beat a Burn player. That was exciting. <laughs> that's
1: that's got to be a nail biter
2: yeah yeah with
1: with phoenix because you're both just kind of racing and not really interacting with each other that much
2: (laughs) yeah he was uh, he got close he just he stalled out one game on lands and i think i i i I went to one uh no no no, i was sitting at four yeah yeah in fact before maybe i'll remember my last matchup but this is this is eight of them right here so i can at least talk about each one um So elves was interesting, you know, on camera, obviously we, we went to three games. They were, they were solid games. I missed some triggers. Um, Shaman of the pack does a ton of damage and you have to just like not let them go that long to get Shaman of the pack on board. They don't have any flying blockers really. And the whole trick is you just have to be able to kill the key creatures with lightning bolts. Um, Your gut shots are okay. Like taking out a, like an elf is pretty good, but like just like one for wanting their bad creatures. It doesn't matter as much. You Take just... out like a heritage druid with, yes, uh, yes. with a bolt or with a gut shot though. That's extremely good. good. Um, also taking out like like taking out a uh, elvish arch druid or a zuri. Those are the creatures that you have to kill. Um, or heritage druid. Those like keeping them off the combo, keeping them off like tons and tons of mana. So that one was relatively close. Um, Grixus Death Shadow. You'd think that they would have a lot on you. Like you would think it would. They'd be pretty good. But what ended up happening was blood moon just won me games repeatedly blood moon just won me games
1: well also like what's interesting about krixis phoenix and one of the reasons that i or uh sorry blue red phoenix and one of the reasons i think it's uh taking off over hollow one is that it's so resilient to thought sees because you have all these cantrips and you're just like constantly ripping through your deck that your opponent is going to thought seize you and they're going to see like thing in the ice and four cantrips and they're like well i guess i take thing in the ice and then you just play your four cantrips, get back a Phoenix, draw a Thing in the Ice over the course of those four cantrips anyway, and then you just kill them anyway.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, definitely Thing in the Ice bouncing a Gurmag Angler is powerful for you, (laughs) um, and there are things that are good. You don't have a lot of ways to kill their biggest creatures. You have to bounce their biggest creatures, but you can also,
1: like, block with Phoenix.
2: Yeah, you can block with Phoenix, and that's pretty good, and, and like you can maybe kind of race them, but definitely, I had one game where I was very clearly dead, and Young Pyromancer, like, a pyromancer with two tokens was able to block, like, a shadow and an angler, like, three turns in a row off playing two cantrips and just stay alive, stay alive. And then eventually it was, like, block with these two tokens and bolt your angler. Now you've just got a shadow. I have enough ways to, like, get there. You know, now I've put two phoenixes in my graveyard over the course of this time. Yeah.
1: I mean, what's good against death shadow is because they're, like, usually relying on one big creature and they're just protecting it with thought seasons, and Summer denials and stuff and fatal pushes i remember like when Gri- when grixis death shadow was at its height that's when mardu pyromancer broke out because yeah. pyromancer is just so good against the death shadow deck because just like chumping them every turn for three turns to give yourself time yeah. to just kill them because they get their life total low for you and then all you have to do is just chump for a few turns and then they just leave themselves vulnerable
2: yeah it uh so it,
1: you playing two young pyromancer i think probably really improved your death shadow matchup
2: absolutely and and like In game two, like having a counter or two, like bring, I had two spell pierce and a dispel on my sideboard. So I would bring in dispel, two pierce, and then the two blood moons against them. And I found that to be pretty effective. Somebody in the chat just called me Rico Suave, told me to button up my shirt. Sure, it'll stay in the right place. Well, no. (laughs) Uh,
0: How's that? Don't shame, don't shame Ben Bateman. (laughs)
2: Um, But, uh, so yeah, I I think in that matchup, blood moon is the card you want to draw. Sometimes they get lucky and they hit one of their basics, but, like, they just don't do very much if you lock them out of blue. Like, their ability yeah. to turn their deck fast, to, like, interact with you, Stubborn Denial, a lot of that stuff, it's just really hard for them. Yeah,
1: if you cut them off blue, they're just, like, playing off the top of their deck.
2: Yeah, they're, like, they can draw a cologon's Command if they have basics and a black source, but a lot of what they're doing, the red is just for, like, Lightning Bolt and, like, a Kologon's Command. It's just, like, not in there very much. Um, so that was Grixis Death Shadow. Wer Prison is really good. The Instaring Bridge Bottled Cloister combo means that you just like basically can't win unless you burn them out. And if they draw another word then it's going to be like a Witchbane Orb. So you get locked out really hard against that deck. um My sideboard, I took out the abrades last minute, but I did have one Shatterstorm, and I was able to kill him in games two and three with that one Shatterstorm. So
1: it yeah, it's was... the power of playing. 16 cantrips
2: yeah you draw a lot of shatterstorm i milled it uh, i remember i no no i, I guess i never milled it because i was able to play it in both games um but well, that's
1: one thing that's interesting is the uh and this is something i hadn't seen a lot out of the blue red phoenix deck but one of the players in the top eight who lost in the quarterfinals uh, was playing two snapcaster uh in like the fourth creature slot where you had like four Phoenix, four thinking in the Ice, two Crackling Drake, just like like the standard Phoenix list that people are playing right now. And then instead of the two Pyromancer that you were playing or the two Terramander that the, the person who won was playing, they were playing two Snapcaster, which I thought was interesting. And it does mean that when you Thought Scour Away, you're like one of sideboard card. You can rebuy it with a Snapcaster. And that's six mana for a Shatterstorm. But depending on what card you're trying to flash back, if it's like a Shattering Spree or something.
2: Shattering Spree, you don't want to have in there because of specifically Welding Jar. So mm. all of the Artifact decks are playing Welding Jar at this point? Well, you
1: can target an Artifact uh, two times with the same Shattering Spree. Because you just make copies of it when you replicate. So you can just say, I'll target your oh, got it. you know Arcbound Ravager three times with the Shattering Spree or whatever. But that example. doesn't,
2: if you target it twice and they put a Regeneration Shield on it, it doesn't protect it for the rest of the turn?
1: No, because it regenerates once and it'll tap, remove all damage, and remove all oh, got uh, it. Okay. and remove it from combat and then it'll die on the second one but it, it's more mana intensive when they have a welding jar
2: and shatterstorm just like ends the
1: game right yeah it's totally it's just you know yeah. i guess shattering spree is better with snapcaster you weren't playing snapcaster so. right
2: but shattering spree is <laughs> a cheaper spell just
1: speculating on like you know different builds of blue red phoenix in terms of what what, what you were playing what other people were playing
2: um so that's work prison work prison was an interesting matchup it was it was like it's a super boring deck it's like not a very fun deck to play against um, but it's powerful and, you know, artifacts are great. You can do colorless things. He was trying to, you know, lock me out. He, if new review, me out of the game at one point, which is like what they do, you know, they mill you out with the land, they, you know, get the land back over and over again. So that's interesting, especially when you're like thought scouring yourself. Um, well, they're
1: playing like main deck surgical extraction most of the time
2: too, right? Yeah. 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 The next matchup was Tron. Um, again, blood moon won me games against Tron. I just remembered I played against also, um, what's it called? Titan shift amulet right. amulet. A second um i played against tron blood moon won me that game uh, very clearly it was really really fun i played against it in my last matchup of the weekend and i believe also in day one. Oh, so i played against two tron decks yeah so is that all my wins amulet burn prison affinity tron tron were shadow shadow elves yeah that's all my wins and if i lost the dredge twice and that's all the matchups um so playing against regular affinity i mean they're just trying to kill you and be fast and it's good um, I won against both Affinity and Prison by drawing said Shatterstorm. Um, I don't think I beat Affinity in one of the games with the Shatterstorm. I think it was only one of the two. Shatterstorm literally won me both of the games against the Prison deck.
1: Well, I, will, I mean, you did mention that you were playing um, three Gutshot, which is more, I think, than most people in their Phoenix decks. And that has to like help with the Affinity matchup, right?
2: It's really good. Yeah, Gutshot's great. I mean, so one of my losses in day two was against hardened scales and my two gut shots, three gut shots. I had two in the opening hand in this game. So this is like funny in on turn one, I go faithless looting, draw, draw one of the cards is a Phoenix. So I put the Phoenix face down in front of me. I'm like, okay, that one's going away. Which of the rest of these cards in my hand am I going to get rid of? Tank. I tank. I tank. Put two cards in the graveyard. Then I look down and realized the Phoenix is still not yep. discarded. I didn't discard Phoenix and I burned the entire turn. So at that point I was planning probably stupidly on playing double gut shot on turn one and just attacking on the play with three, with a Phoenix.
1: But then you didn't discard the Phoenix.
2: But I didn't discard the Phoenix. And I was like, and I didn't know what he was playing because I was on the play that game. And he goes, Ink Moth, four artifacts, whatever. And I'm just like, well, I have these gut shots now. And so on (laughs) turn two, I go spell, spell, gut shot, get a Phoenix back, um, attack. I can't remember how he gets rid of it, but he gets rid of the Phoenix. Yeah, And then he tries to go all in and sacrifice everything between a hardened scales and an Ink Moth Nexus. And I have the second gutshot in hand and I'm tapped out and I take out his entire board. He's left with literally a hardened scales and it's like turn three. Um, and it was only because I didn't go for the stupid turn one phoenix play that I had the second gutshot so, or the gutshot at all. So it worked out for me.
1: Yeah, I mean that like forget to discard your phoenix. Every every GP that I've played in, I can think back to like the one mistake that lost me the whole thing, and it, it always sounds like that. Where it's like, "What was I thinking? Why didn't I do it?" And it's funny that it worked out for you.
2: <laughs> yeah, it actually was the reason I won, and yeah. I lost games two and three. Um, that deck is very powerful, Harden Scales. It's and it's incidental that the finals of this event actually was is it Phoenix versus Harden Scales, and is it yeah. Phoenix won in that case? Yeah. Um, but uh, that was the Harden Scales matchup in game two. Monored prison again. I don't even think Shatterstorm won me the game. I think I just was faster. I think he, like, yeah,
1: well, Blood Moon's pretty bad against you. Chalice is good, but you can beat a Chalice because all your threats are expensive. So you can literally just like play spells into the Chalice and let them get countered to like trigger your thing in the ice 100%. or trigger your Phoenixes.
2: You just, I mean, it's, it's impressive how much better this deck is than the old school like Death Shadow type of deck where your best threat costs one also. So a Chalice really hurts you.
1: Well, they had Angler, which was nice, but yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, this deck, like, playing a 3-2 Phoenix for 4 is okay. Like, you just can Lightning Bolt in that way, and you still get to do all your triggers by casting spells. So, literally, your Pyromancer, Thing in the Ice, and Phoenix, they don't care that much if the spells get encountered, because you still get something out of every spell. Um, so, the Chalice Plan is not as good against you, and Blood Moon's bad against me, too um so i was able to get the win there
1: yeah and a lot of times they'll like spew cards to get their chalice or blood moon out early they'll like play pyretic ritual or simian spirit guide to get a chalice down on turn two or chalice down on turn one or blood moon down on turn three and then like they're just like spewing their whole hand because they're hoping this one card will beat you and then if it doesn't beat you they like run out of steam
2: right right so then the burn matchup was was pretty interesting uh you know as it always is with burn you have to just hope they kind of stall out you stabilize and they draw lands I went to four, and this was the really interesting part. I went to four, and I had a Pyromancer in play, he, and he had two creatures. He had a Monastery Swift Spear and, and a Goblin Guide. And at that point, I had like enough spells and a Pyromancer that I was like, okay, so what I have to do here is never, ever crack this fetch and never let my life total go below three. Because one of the cards, the two cards in his hand, one of them is very likely a three-mana burn spell, but he also could draw a Haste creature at any time. So I can never attack unless I have the advantage of not going below and allowing him to either resolve a haste creature and play a spell or play two spells. If he has two burn spells, fine, he'll win the game, but that's the way he's going to have to beat me. And I have enough turns to get there at four life that I can negotiate this board state from there. And that was the trick. And I stall it for four turns and he didn't draw the right thing. And Jeez, I was able that's to scary.
1: Cause like you want to, you don't want the game to go too long because then he's more likely to have drawn the two burn spells, but you also like, you know, don't want to just lose the one burn spell out of. Because you played poorly, right? Yeah, so you don't have tough. that
2: much time. But like, I can't remember how I won the game. But it's possible it was a Crackling Drake. You know, a Crackling Drake is very good.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I was thinking about it because of Chalice. We were talking about one mana spells in the deck. This is kind of a selfish question because I'm trying to decide whether I want to play this in my. Is it Phoenix? Do you? Uh, were you playing Charter Course? No. No Charter Course. Okay. Because no. the winner was playing one Charter Course, and I like the idea of Charter Course, and it's really good in the standard version of the deck which i've played a lot on arena because it's so much easier to play arena i've played actually a ton of blue red drakes in arena but not in (laughs) not in modern uh as much as i would like but uh yeah i i really like try to course in the standard version and what uh what made you not want to
2: play it in modern I mean, mostly it's because I promised I'd play a good deck and I had to go off a list that would had won. So the list sure. that I built off of was basically a winning list. And I will, you know, we're, we have a few minutes left. I'm going to, at the end of this, do a quick deck tech on the deck I played and I can talk about the card choices. Oh, sure. Well, we'll, we'll,
1: we'll do that when it's time then. yeah, you talk about your matchups? So the
2: last matchup in day one, I believe, or that I won, I can't remember which of these was day one, which was day two, was the Amulet matchup, which, as you can imagine, just comes down to Blood Moon. Um, it comes down to Blood Moon and killing Azusa. That's basically it. Um, if you have that instant speed interaction to kill Azusa, it works. Game one, he molded down to five, kept a zero lander and was still able to win, which is crazy. I didn't have a very fast hand, but like they, that deck is great. like if they play if they draw their land, they play their amulet, like they just get they get going. And if they resolve Primeval Titan, then, like, missing those land drops does not matter.
1: So this is, like, a preview for next week's episode. But, yeah, Amulet mulling to five, keeping a no lander. Like, how much better would their hand have been if they got to draw seven and put two back? So much better.
2: And <laughs> they, <already laughs> they won. still
1: won, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, the deck I mean, is very powerful. Preview um, of, uh, of London Mulligan discussion next week.
2: But, I mean, also very fragile. They, it's hard for them to win without Azusa. The one drop that puts a land into play is good, but Azusa, like two extra lands per turn. Like yeah. it's, you go, you go so fast with that card. Um, so, but yeah, I believe Blood Moon won me one of the games. And, uh, I think it was that keeping him off of his extra land drops, he couldn't get to six in one of the games by killing Azusa and killing the other thing. Like, um, yeah, I think it was, I just was a little faster. Um, the losses Cheerios, they're just very fast. And if you don't have enough removal spells for their SRAM or their, their, uh, Crystal Paladin, they're just going to win. Like, that deck is just critical mass as soon as they get going they almost can't lose it's like the whole entire deck is just like one one game plan um against is a phoenix in the mirror i started thought scouring them with surgicals in hand to try to take out their phoenixes which is in the game too that's what they told me that is the smartest thing to do um so i thought that was pretty interesting um oh i just remembered i played against ad nauseum so one of these is wrong I must not have played against Dredge twice, but I beat Ad nauseam for sure. Um, so Dredge is better than you. It's faster than you. It it doesn't. You have to have the right draw, like exactly the right draw against Dredge. And, I feel like
1: Thing in the Ice is a key card against them, right?
2: It is, and it's it is good. But like again, if you if you flip a Thing in the Ice and you bounce a bunch of their creatures, it's not like they have all the creatures. In play already. They just dredge again the next turn, and they get more creatures, and they hit Creeping Chills, and Creeping Chills are really good against you.
1: Yeah, Creeping Chills are really good.
2: Like, one guy, the guy I lost to in Dredge at the end of day one, hit, like, three Creeping Chills in his first dredge. Like, he, like, Faithless Looting and Dredge two things, and, like, out of 10 cards or 11 cards, he hit three Creeping Chills. And I was like, wow. Nine point, 18 point life swing.
1: Yeah, when the game goes long, they're favored because they just have so much card advantage through dredging yeah that like they're just gonna bury you under a big pile of dudes
2: exactly so dredge is really hard to beat um is it phoenix matchup like i think probably favored him because he played a lot of is it phoenix like they just know the matchup a little better than you do um and then ad nauseum is what you would think they're favored heavily in game one your dispels and thoughts and and, uh, spell pierces in game two are really good and you just have to go faster you just have to kill them and like not let them get the assemble the combo with like backup it is a little annoying that they have angel's grace and they just like buying that one extra turn often comes down to just angel's grace plus phyrexian unlife the fact that you do so much damage in one turn doesn't matter yeah phyrexian
1: unlife seems like it's really good against you
2: because once they hit zero it just goes into a negative life until the next instance of damage so the combination of unlife and angel's grace makes it very problematic to get past the finish line um but again you your dispels and spell pierces are really good there
1: yeah. Uh, so, did you bring in uh, dispel or spell pierce against Cheerios?
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: Just to counter the retract.
2: I mean, retract is the most important card. That Hercules recall. They, without those cards, so you
1: bring in removal and you bring in yeah, the all... the counter sweep for retract.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Those are. I mean, that's what you. It wasn't have enough, to. huh? He just had fast starts both times. I molded. I think I molded six in both game twos. I had three lightning bolts in game two and killed three creatures in a row. He had just like Noxious revival, and he just got the creature back and won the next turn. Sometimes they have it. Yeah, I mean it's a good deck, you know. Like it's my deck is positioned kind of well, but my deck's not positioned that well. The deck that really wants to play against that deck is like a fair deck, like a Jund, where it's going to disrupt the creature on turn one with a Thoughtseize, and then it's going to bolt it, and then it's going to have like tons and tons of ways to not lose. For sure, Jeskai is insane, or any of the control decks. Plus,
1: they do rely on having a critical mass of stuff in hand, so if your gen opponent has Liliana the Veil. I can't imagine that that's not the worst thing for you. You, They make you sack your pure steel paladin and they just eat all the eggs out of your
2: hand. So even if you draw another one, you can't win. <laughs> yes, I, I think that's what you need there. Yeah. So um, so let's talk a little bit about the deck list quickly. Um, just so you can see what I was playing and then I can talk to you guys about what I think worked and didn't work. Because um, I know we're going a little long and I don't want to, you know, go too much longer. It's five o'clock. Um, so number one, let's talk about the threats. Threats are, so 4 Phoenix, 4 Thing in the Ice, you've got 2 Crackling Drake, and then 2 Pyromancer. So that's your that that's the 12 creatures my deck my deck was playing. And I think for the most part, that's what people do. There's an article on SCG this week, Premium, talking about those two creatures in the Pyro slot and what you can play instead. Some people play Snapcaster, some people play Bedlam Reveler, some Terramanders. I'd called Corey Burkhart, friend of the show and insane Grixis player, the night before to ask him, what is the deck that I should play, and how should I pilot this deck if I don't want to lose to game two sideboards that I'm not as familiar with? I was like, I'm leaning in, is it Phoenix? And he was like, whatever you do, play a version that can pivot away from the graveyard in game two, so that you don't just get wrecked by the things that are going to try to take your Phoenix out all the cards people are going to bring in are going to try to wreck your Phoenix. So don't play Terramander. Don't play Bellum Reveler because they just get worse in game two. Make sure you're playing something that's good on board. So he's like, Pyros sound like a really good choice.
1: That's interesting because the two people in the top eight, one was playing Snapcasters, fairly reliant on the graveyard, although, you know, they're still good against things like Nile Spellbomb or, you know, whatever. Uh, and the other one was uh, the guy who won was playing Terramanders, which also rely on the graveyard somewhat, although. Again, you can like kind of flip them and then your graveyard doesn't matter anymore. But
2: right, so four Phoenix, four Thing, four Drake, two Pyromancer. Then on the spell side, you've got four Serum Visions, you've got four Thought Scour, you've got two Opt, you've got three Gutshot, four Lightning Bolt, you've got one Is it Charm, one Lightning Axe, one Flame Slash. Two, light up the stage. And yep. I think that's all the spells the deck's playing. And then, finally, the last things are the lands, which I believe I'm playing 19 lands, and it's four tarns, four Scalding Tarn. Two, I played Flooded Strand, but any just blue fetch is what you need. You need six. You need four Spire Bluff Canal, three Steam Vents, and then five basic lands. I played a split of three Island and two mountain, So that's five, eight, 12, 16, 18. So I must be forgetting one more land unless it just plays. It's possible that I was playing four Steam Vents. Maybe. Sure. That would... One
1: one land different, but you're playing 19. That's what's most important, right? I believe so.
2: Yeah. So that's the list. So going through, I mean, obviously Phoenix and thing in the ice, that's the core of the deck. Um, the two crackling Drake. That's interesting, right? As a four drop, like it's a little counterintuitive to a new player to think that card's going to be good. Trust me, as somebody who thought that card was not good on first sight, that card's insane. It's the card that wins you the game a lot of the time when you just top deck it. It's such a good top deck in the deck because if somebody doesn't have a way to deal with it, it's a one turn clock. Very often you just draw it and you, you put it down and it represents like 17 damage. And it's
1: or something very like resilient to Grave Hate, which is super nice because as Ben said, people are bringing in Grave Hate against you. And if you can win through your opponent's Grave Hate, then it's like they're just they're less likely to be able to beat you if they have a rest in peace in their hand and you have a crackling drake because they play the rest in peace. They exile those cards and the crackling drake counts the instant sorceries in exile. So you just play your deck like normal. Eventually you play crackling drake and that's one less card they have in their hand to answer it.
2: It's also a four drop, which I didn't play against any fatal pushes this weekend, but it is, has that one extra edge against a fatal push. It has the one extra toughness against a lightning bolt. Um, it's just very good. So, uh, and then the Young Pyromancer's, I was really impressed with. I thought Young Pyromancer was excellent. I really honestly couldn't believe consistently how much value I felt like I was getting out of that card in, in the matchups that it was good. Um, just having the extra blockers. Some games you just play it on turn two, go off with a big Phoenix turn the next turn, and then you just represent like all this power. You have all these ways to interact. Um, young Pyromancer was really impressive to me. As far as the suite of cantrips go, four serum visions and four thoughts scour is pretty self-explanatory um two opt whatever three gut shot the gut shots are obviously in there for the phoenixes but also for, to power for
1: looting as cantrips too right
2: oh yeah yeah, that's the one i probably, probably forgot to write down the most important one in the whole deck so um, you're
1: playing 14 cantrips
2: yeah for looting so four a lot of people visions. playing
1: between like 12 and 16 so
2: yeah and i do play two i played one is it charm so that's like Kind of your fifth Faithless Looting. Yeah,
1: I mean, if you need if you need to be discarding a Phoenix, it will yeah. let you discard a Phoenix. So
2: And it's fine, but I probably cut that card. But I, I would make two changes to the main that I'll talk about in a second.
1: I am really not a big fan of Visit Charm. I was playing it in Teamerscape Shift because that's what people were doing. And I was like, well, it's flexible. It kills their Deathrite Shaman, which is a pain in the ass card. I was playing against at the time. And uh, it like counters their counterspell when you need to defend your escape shift. Maybe it's good, and it just does everything poorly. It does everything, but it does it poorly.
2: It's Yeah, it's a poor version of all the cards that it's it's there to imitate. <laughs>
1: um, two mana shock, two mana spell pierce, two mana faithless looting. None of them are like really what you would have been playing. Not paying even a shock. If it was
2: two mana shock, that card would be way better.
1: Oh, yeah, because it doesn't hit face, right?
2: Yeah, it just hits creatures. Like, it's just removal. So It's
0: two mana dead.
2: Yeah. yeah. If it was two mana shock, I think that card would actually be pretty good. Because yeah. if you could use that as a burn spell, then I think in the decks that want to play it, they'd be very happy True. to True. Definitely
1: it. be better in this deck.
2: Yeah. So, um, but yeah, the the ops are fine. You know, the three gut shots are there, obviously, to trigger Phoenix and all your free cards. But they're also in there as another way to play Light Up the Stage to get some card advantage. You asked about Charter of Course. I think that's the slot you would play. You would play Charter of Course instead of Light Up the Stage, probably.
1: Mm, yeah yeah yeah. it's like your card advantage because what's nice about chart of course is like it's another discard outlet that lets you discard phoenix but it's also card advantage if you're playing like a more grindy game where you like care about card advantage being able to just like attack with a 1-1 terramander or something and draw yeah. two cards if you're like on the back foot or like need to be digging for answers or whatever
2: yep um continuing down the list you know the gut shots were pretty good for me the one is it charm like we said wasn't that good one lightning hatch one flame slash your flame slash is in there primarily for the mirror, I'm guessing, to take out a thing in the ice. That's, like, why you want it. There's a couple other relevant X-4s, but for the most part, I think it's just to not lose to someone else. It's also thing. just, like,
1: another copy of Lightning Bolt that, like, gets an important creature, like, an elf, out of the way. Like Yeah, a...
2: and it's cheap. Yeah. Um, Lightning Axe, another way to discard a phoenix. It's interesting. It's, you know, five, so it can take out an angler. It's There's a couple things that have five toughness that are relevant in Modern, Um
1: Terramanders.
2: Yeah, it was fine. It wasn't insane, but it was fine. Um, Light of the Sage I was pretty unimpressed with. I think I would cut one or both of those. I didn't find it to be that satisfying. It's good in game two when you exile like a, like a dispel or a spell pierce or something like that. Just because it allows you to kind of play out your next turn with them knowing that they can't do anything is they just see it there.
1: Oh, the cards are exiled. That's interesting. So if you played light up the stage pre-combat and exiled two instants, your crackling Drake would be too bigger. Yeah. Even though you haven't played the cards yet. Exactly. Spicy. It's,
2: it's, I mean, it's interesting. And there were some turns where you got like a lot of value, but like you hate exiling a Phoenix early. Yeah. It's really bad. because You can't play it. Yeah. That's rough. There's like a bunch of stuff that just like sucked. Um, I just didn't find it to be very impressive. I cut it a lot of the time. Um, The four fifths leading are obviously insane. And lightning bolt is like, even in the matchup's lightning bolt is bad, it's still good. Like, well,
1: yeah, and this is a deck where you really want to be pointing it at face a lot of the time anyway, so.
2: Yeah, and then the mana base was, too, was like, silky smooth. It was just, like, awesome. Never had any issues with it. I, always, I found it to be, like, Fire Bluff Canal is great. You know, the fact that you were playing no, like, no colorless lands are really important because you're maximizing your mana almost every single turn. You need, like, a lot of blue-red. Oh, four Mana Morphos. That's the last card we missed.
1: Oh, yep, yep. That's an important one, too.
2: Yeah, and Manamorphos like, it's like faith saluting you need it for the deck it's one of the most important cards in the whole deck so
1: yeah it gets all those triggers young free young pyromancer trigger free phoenix trigger free young yeah. thing
0: in the ice trigger so you're running 18 cantrips then yeah but you've got
1: yeah. your. You have oh your... well yeah i was thinking one mana cantrips when i was saying that but yeah I'll, you're always running four metamorphos in addition to your 12 to
2: 16 one mana cantrips so then in the sideboard you've got two ceremonious rejection you've got one dispel you've got two spell pierce You've got two Anger of the Gods. You have three Surgical Extraction. We've got... Shatterstorm. One Shatterstorm. Blood Moon. Two Blood Moon.
1: The two you mentioned the most during the cast?
2: The Blood Moon? The Blood Moon and the Shatterstorm. Yeah, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. One Cerebral Vortex.
1: Oh, boy.
2: Yeah, we'll talk about this one in just a second. That was definitely my favorite sideboard card. And then... Last but not least was probably I'm forgetting the last sideboard card
1: removal uh, spell of some kind. We had the counter spells, counter spell. the Pierce
2: the spell, the surgical. Um, Could it have been another like another lightning axe or, or yeah. no? Flame I don't think slash. it was another burn spell. I think it was. You said you
1: were, took a braid out of the sideboard. So no took a braid. braid out of the
2: sideboard. Yeah, uh, right offhand, I don't quite remember. I guess I can just like look here and see if there's anything that triggered. Oh yeah, it.
1: we'll post the deck list up yeah we'll we'll have it all out there for the cast to see but talk about what you do remember
2: yeah so um basically the dispels and the spell pierces came in a lot i think spell pierce dispel and blood moon were probably the cards that i brought in the most consistently um pierce and dispel are just like great in the matchups they're great the fact that you know you just you go one turn slower but like they've brought in something to stop you so having your having your Dispel for their Surgical and you know they're going to go for it and thinking they're going to get off when you have, like, the Phoenixes often is enough to just win the game because that's why they kept their opening hand and it's not that good otherwise. The Two Anger of the Gods, like, that's really good against Dredge. The fact that you can take out all of the Prized Amalgams is really strong. Um, Against decks like Counters Company, it's really, really good. Elves... Um,
1: spirits, humans. Sp-
2: spirits, humans. Yeah, like angered. you know, you probably want to have two in your side. Wide board. creature deck. Yeah, the three surgicals are, are pretty obviously for the mirror match. That's, like, why they're in there, and they're really, really good. The blood moons were probably my favorite card of the whole entire weekend. Surprised at how good the blood moon was, even in, even in a field that is so primarily covered in this deck.
1: Yeah, well, it's funny because you played a deck that, played against a deck that is, like, their entire game plan is just put blood moon into play and have it win the game by itself, so... I think that speaks to how good the card is, even though, even if it's not good in the meta, there are matchups that are just, it wins the game by itself.
2: Shadowstorm, I mentioned how good it was, and the final card here, I can't remember the 15th card, but the final card here was, um, oh no, it's Ceremonious Rejection. That's the card I wanted to talk about. Okay. Ceremonious Rejection was excellent. It was really, really powerful. Yeah, I've been a fan of it. It's good. It's one blue, counter target, colorless spell. I mean, it's obviously really good against Tron. It's a hard counter for Karn. It's a hard counter for Ugin. It's a hard counter for Wormcoil, for Walking Ballista. And they're like
1: tapping out for these cards.
2: It's a hard counter against a lot of the most important cards in Hardened Scales. And yep. either of the X creatures, Steel Overseer, Ravager, like it's very good there um and then against prison it's really good as well like countering an ensnaring bridge or something like that is essential or chalice or chalice so i was impressed monster ceremonious rejection well, i guess Graf
1: cage isn't that good against you pretty good I mean, you your, can kind of ignore it stops
2: your phoenixes you can't flash back your faithless lootings yeah it's all right um and then finally cerebral vortex which some of you guys probably don't know it's blue red one for an instant it's from dissension i think and it's a uh, target guild uh, packed, Guild packed target player draws two cards and then takes damage equal to the number of cards they have drawn this turn. So end of turn, you can play it on yourself, lose two draw two. It's like a bad light at the stage or something like that. But in the Phoenix mirror, one faithless looting on their turn means they've now drawn five cards that turn, which if it's a Phoenix turn and they're playing like two other cantrips and possibly a gut shot, that's going to represent seven or even eight or even sometimes nine damage. If it's a huge turn, and in the Is It Phoenix matchup, where I brought it in, I was literally a lightning bolt off the top away from winning because I end of turn aided him on his big turn. And it's exactly why I brought it in. And it's a little slow, and I don't think I'd recommend it to someone playing the deck. But then again, it's one of the most unique I win cards in that matchup. So maybe. Maybe it's better than I thought. In the in that Cheerios matchup, if I had had that card in hand and he didn't have a counterspell, he just loses on the spot. Yeah. tries to resolve He tries to resolve Grapeshot, and I just dome him for like 30. Yeah,
1: so, it's true. I don't know. I'm a little skeptical of a three-mana card you don't that doesn't bring back Phoenix, but not very well, at
2: least. Probably the better move than having it in the sideboard would be to main deck that card in place of one of the light-up stages and just be okay drawing it and having it in her opening hand because it's just going to be a card draw spell. And incidentally, sometimes in game one, you're just going to beat a deck with it. Yeah. That's probably, because you don't, you're not like mullioning to that card in the Is it Phoenix matchup, because they bring in counterspells just like you.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's also sucks because it's not very proactive. Like, you have to have it in your hand when they're drawing the cards. It's not like you can draw it later and slam the Blood Moon and still beat Amulet, even though it, like, you right, know, right, right. they already played a Primeval Titan, and maybe you still win that matchup. Or it's not like, you know, you can draw the Shatterstorm later and blow up the Affinity Board when they've already attacked you down to nine Poison or whatever. Like, you, you can, well, I guess they still
0: kill you, but, you know.
2: Yeah. So, talk about Michael Bernatsalis a little bit and how it changed.
0: One quick question I have. Given how effective you found Shatterstorm to be, do you think that in the future you might have gone up to two copies?
2: Yeah, I would would play a second Shatterstorm in this turn. If I was playing this tournament again, I would play two for sure. You
0: expect to play against a lot of artifact decks?
2: Um, Yes. I mean, Hardened Scale is lost in this, you know, as, as the second deck. But it's also just like some of the matchups where you can't win. Like, you can't really beat the War Deck unless you do that. So. There's like a bunch of matchups where if you board that in and you draw it, it's an I win card. And the fact that it costs four, not one, means that like getting around a chalice, like it's, yeah. it's a hard card for the decks that want to interact with, to interact with. And it's pretty powerful. So
1: yeah. So one big difference between the two top eight lists and yours, uh, and this does free up sideboard slots for things like more Shatterstorms, was that they were playing Surgical Extractions main. Uh, I think the the guy who won was playing two. Is that right? One. He's, He's playing, playing one. one and eight. then the other person in the top eight was playing two.
2: Yeah, he was playing two lightning axe, no flame slash. He had a charter course, and he didn't have any of the light up the stages. He had four ops instead of my two, and a surgical in the main, but he was playing one less gut shot. And then his creatures, it's the same exact breakdown, except that instead of the two young pyromancers, he was playing terramanders. And he's playing 18 lands. And he's playing 18 lands, which is actually the same I was playing. It's possible I was playing 18 lands, because the list that I have here is 18. Oh, got it. So it's probably the exact same. Um and then his sideboard was two Surgicals, a Pierce, Shattering Spree, you know, Rending Volley, Dragon's Claw, Dispel, a Chandra, a couple Blood Moon Anger, the gods to a Braid. The Chandra is an interesting one there, and I thought about doing that when I exiled my opponent's Phoenixes. I noticed that he had brought in a Ral, is it Viceroy, and a Chandra, both of which seem strong in that matchup. where and you they want don't to use
1: be... your graveyard, right? You were saying when people are bringing in grave hate, you want threats that don't bring in, or yeah. that don't use the
0: graveyard. Yeah, what
2: you have? if Marshall? somebody's like...
0: Uh, which Chandra?
2: The good four-man one in Modern. Church of
0: Defiance. Okay.
2: Yeah, the uh, yeah the good one. <laughs> it's funny because the previous one was the good one. Pyromancer, Pyromaster. Yeah, yeah. it just, just less good because the other one's just better. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's kind of the that's the that's the deck tech. That's the breakdown. But uh, well, one
1: thing I want to talk about the Surgical Extraction is if you were to play in the tournament again, do you think that you would main deck the Surgical Extraction? I mean, you lost. You only played against Dredge once, maybe twice. We're not exactly sure, but you lost. You lost every time you played against Dredge. Do you think that you should have been playing Surgical Extraction main deck? Do you think it would have helped? I mean, it obviously would have helped against Dredge, but do you think it would have made the deck like if you had to do it all over again, would you play main deck surgical?
2: I'd be happy to play one. I mean, especially because the deck goes through its cards so fast. There are some matchups where in game one, you just are going to get them you know like if you in, in that in that phoenix matchup if it's in your opening hand and they go for fifth Looting on turn one you're just like wow what a lucky way for me to just win game one right now you know um and that's probably a good enough reason to play it and there are some other decks in modern too i mean for instance like if on turn one uh if they go for it relatively early with an ink moth nexus or even if they just activate because they're a little slower and you like gut shot ink moth and then have surgical and you like see a second ink moth in their hand like there's stuff like that that's going to happen
1: yeah, well, and you were telling me about um, how, like, sometimes it's worth gut-shotting to the face to get back a phoenix. Well, you can surgical, even if there's nothing relevant in their graveyard, you can just surgical a fetch land. You get to look at their hand, you get to have another spell to trigger your phoenix and pyromancer and thing in the ice. Um, and so it's just, like, another free spell that kind of acts like a gut shot, but it, like, shines in different matchups versus a gut shot, right?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's totally fair and, and really powerful, so... Um, I, I would consider it I mean this guy is better at magic than me and won a tournament, so I can't I can't really speak too uh negatively about his choices. But um yeah, I think that's I think that'll wrap us up. So we'll probably talk about this a little bit more on next week's episode because it's recent and Alex will be back and he'll definitely, you know, wanna make fun of me a little bit for winning of course. games <laughs> with a good deck. Um
0: <laughs> what a
1: curse
2: yeah (laughs) so uh thanks for listening thanks for watching guys uh please follow subscribe on youtube it is the most important thing you guys can do and you guys can follow me at ben bateman media the the podcast at the mm cast
1: uh my twitter is dudar d-u-d-a-r-d-d
2: yes and uh that's gonna do that so thanks for everybody and we'll see you guys all soon
1: thank you for your
2: attention see you later alligator
0: This has been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.